My guest today is Joel Bine. Joel is the founder and conductor of the New Orleans Chamber Players, director of growth at Crash, and author of Do It Now, a book he just released on Amazon. Joel, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, so Joel, I found out about you through Crash, and Crash is a company that helps people ditch their resumes and put themselves out there and do pitches to to get jobs for companies instead of just the old traditional throw your resume out there and see what happens. And I also saw you you had just released a book on one of your Twitter posts, and I reached out to you to take a look at the book, and I really enjoyed it. So I thought I'd get you on the call to understand more about why you published that book and what you do at Crash right and your background Thank you, Aaron. in music. I appreciate yeah, I appreciate you having me on. And- so thanks for coming on the show. With Crash, our mission is to help people discover and do what makes them come alive. And that really drives me. I, in the book, I write in the little about the author section, I write, I come alive when I help people come alive. And my vision for the world is a world where people are living with purpose and meaning and drive and creativity and essentially inner aliveness, I think to be human being is to be creative, is to unleash what visions and ambitions that you have that you can generate in your mind based on your curiosity, your interests, your passions, and actualize that into the world. And that's that's what it means to fully come alive as a human being. And unfortunately, in our culture, we have... <clears throat> essentially a high percentage, if not close to 100% of us are going through these sort of systems of school that teach us to conform and obey and not to be creative or curious. And it sort of conditions us out of those um, natural born qualities. And I've been really fired up about that. Um, ever since I was probably 19 years old and kind of started tinkering with my philosophy of education and questioning, um, questioning the nature of education in our culture. And so that's been the seed that's driven me and driven me to pursue, um, the work that I'm doing right now with crash. And specifically we're helping people unleash that creative power to, stand out and prove their value to companies, prove their value for opportunities in order to, to find that work that's aligned and fulfilling rather than rely on these institutions, rely on this waiting for permission mindset of, look, I got a degree. Look, I have a resume. Look what I've done on these bullet points on my resume that's relying on basically this conveyor belt of going through school and following the rules and following directions, which is like the mold of the culture, you might say. And so we're seeking to help people break the mold and to get in touch with what it is that you desire and want and to say, hey, you want to go work for this entrepreneur, then go pitch them Go create something just for them that's 
potentially highly valuable based on you could create, for example, um, a marketing plan for a, an author. If somebody wants to pitch me on making a marketing plan for promoting my book, then, then I'll be curious to hear that. And I'd be feeling elated and thrilled because you reached out to me specifically and said, Hey, Joel, I love your book. And I would love to help you promote this. And I'm not actually asking for that right now. I just, I just kind of popped into my head. But like the point is like, whatever you want to do, go create something specific and go deep rather than wide and make that person or that company feel special. And you can then create these win-win opportunities professionally. So that's what drives me for my work um, with Crash. And we have, I, I write the daily job hunt newsletter, which is a daily email with sort of short bursts of motivation and, and advice on this. And, and then for the book, do it now. That's sort of like, um, a pinnacle of what I've been preaching in the past few minutes, which is creative action. And I sort of got my spark for creativity going, um, when I started blogging back in 2016, and I did a 30 day blogging challenge and really started flexing this creativity and the shipping muscle shipping, meaning the, the act of completion of the creative process, finishing a blog post, putting it out into the world. And so I did a 30 day blogging challenge, um, to the challenge to, to, to publish a post every single day. And that really activated my create creative muscle. And since then I've, I've blogged over 500 times and that, this book is just a little 30 page. It's almost like 30 little blog posts. And the essential theme of it is driving home this point of having a bias for completion, having a bias for action, even if it's not perfect and say, Hey, I, I finished this. Hey, look world. I made this. So that's the overview of it. That's awesome. And I, I love that idea of just putting something out there and experimenting and seeing where it goes. I think that's amazing. I'm curious for yourself as a classically trained musician, have you always had that mindset or is this something that you developed later on? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, because my background as, as a musician and I'm still a musician is obviously it's a creative pursuit to create art, to create music, um, art music specifically. And at the same time that, I mean, so I've been very passion driven my entire life, essentially passion for baseball, passion for music, passion for creativity, et cetera. Um, and so that drive in that training and that passion for music and conducting is, is really been driven by that sense of beauty and desire to create beyond the mundane experiences through art. And so it's a little bit of a distinction. I see that drive versus my drive to write and create um, something that's brand new. So as a conductor, so I conduct classical music. I've conducted youth orchestra, I've connected wind ensemble. Now I'm focused on connecting chamber music. And that's actually a recreative process, recreation, right? Recreating the, the composition's been written by a composer or 
And then my, my experience is interpreting that music and bringing it into reality. And it's definitely a spontaneous experience, but it's also recreative. And that's a little bit different. I see than if I'm writing a blog post, for example, that's a brand new, never been conceived. It's starting from scratch type of experience. And so when I started blogging, that was a new muscle that I started flexing um, to, to create something for a new and then publish it and say, this is done. Um, that really, that taught me a lot about um, overcoming and particularly taught me a, a lot about overcoming that sense of vulnerability when you complete something and you have these thoughts about, wait, is this, is this good enough? Are people going to criticize this? Um, although pretty quickly you realize that that's not your number one concern. Your, your number one concern is, is anyone actually reading this at all? <laughs> but <clears throat> nonetheless, it's, um, it's a valuable process <laughs> to, to have that completion mode. And that's, again, that's what I, and we can dig into this if you want. That's what I sort of drive home in the book is, is seeking to inspire, activate people to follow through on their intentions and to finish. Yeah. Yeah. I, I noticed that. I mean, you, you're a lot of your book is focused on ways to implement more creativity, uh, ways to implement getting things done done, getting things shipped, getting things finished. Uh, it's also, uh, gives insight into your personal philosophy of education and learning. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious about your musical background because I've never met a conductor before. So I, I, I want to know more about what that is and how does that translate? I'll, you know, I, I imagine you probably play a lot of different instruments. You probably had to have extreme, uh, amount of, practice on instruments and conducting and how does that translate if at all into say blogging or marketing or writing the daily job hunt emails is there a connection there or am i reaching i love the question i've never stopped to fully contemplate that what comes to mind is the consistency that i learned as a musician where since i was 16, 17 in particular, I was really, when I really chose to, that I wanted to pursue music as a profession, that that's when I really started committing in a serious way and you know, committing to practice my trumpet. I was trained on the trumpet um, every single day, practice for, for multiple hours every single day. And, and then going into my, tr my training, my undergraduate degree, and that just, that was just complete immersion and focus on, on learning an instrument and having private lessons every week and preparing to, to perform and, and committing to developing your technique. I mean, it was the water in which I was swimming like, a, uh, to, I mean, to take a day off from the trumpet was, and that's something that I learned to do to, to, that I, it was actually necessary to, to rest on occasion, but this sort of drive and like willingness and 
sort of ethic of I'm going to follow through and I'm going to show up every single day. And I also learned that I think growing up with, with playing sports and like having this, having this mindset of I'm going to be the type of person that learns from the coaches and implements, integrates with their teaching and then go apply it rather than just let it like fall by the wayside. I'm going to go and follow through and, and shoot, shoot, you know, 200 basketball shots a day, you know, that type of a mentality. And so that, that's what the link I would say is this willingness to show up. You know, people say 90% of success is showing up. And I think it's true. Like, to show up every single day and commit and create and make creativity a habit. You know, those, and that's, and one of the people I dedicate the book to is, is Twyla Tharp who wrote the book, The Creative Habit. And she was um, a choreographer in New York City. And she had, her book talks about every single morning, she'd wake up at 5 a.m. and she'd hop in a cab and she'd go to the gym and she'd start her morning routine. And there was no negotiating whether she was gonna do that. It was just, I create every single day, I have this routine. Um, she'd go to the gym, then she'd, she'd go to the studio and start, start her work. Um, and so she talks a lot about that type of consistency in this sort of type A way of making creativity a habit. And so that's when I started blogging that, that really started, I started dialing that in with the daily blogging. Okay. Okay. So you mentioned the daily blogging a couple of times, and it seems like that had a pretty big impact on you. At what point did you turn your daily blogging practice into basically something where you're getting paid for what you're doing now at the daily job hunt, where you're writing these awesome daily emails that are very, uh, I subscribe to it. It's actually, it's really good. It's very motivational. It's punchy. It's to the point. There's no fluff, uh, which I appreciate. Uh, I mean, where did you learn these marketing skills, uh, this ability to write like that? And and how did you get involved with Crash? Yeah, well, I appreciate the kind words. And that means a lot to hear you say that it's not fluffy because that's what I really strive for is, is impact and no extraneous words. Uh, yeah, I never sought to be a professional daily writer yeah. or whatever you want yeah. to call me. Um, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't a, a specific vision that I had. The vision that I had was to follow through on an emerging purpose and passion to help people discover and do what makes them come alive after I found Isaac's first company, Praxis. So Isaac Morehouse is the founder of, of Crash, and his first company is Praxis, discoverpraxis.com, which is a one-year apprenticeship program for young people and six months of a professional boot camp, six months of an apprenticeship with a startup, and it's helping young people launch their careers without needing a degree. And, and the daily job hunting crash is all um, an outgrowth of Praxis itself. And so when I first came across Praxis and Isaac's work and this mentality of essentially criticized by creating, to criticize these systems, you know, I mentioned these systems earlier of these, these schooling systems having this hindrance and as a way to 
counteract that, let's create. Let's create through entrepreneurship. Let's create new options. And so instead of you need to get a college degree, <clears throat> hey, you can build your own portfolio and learn this pitching pitching mindset and you can prove your value to companies. And that can become a business, that can become a new option in the market and people can start moving towards that. And then these systems become more and more obsolete. So that was what was firing me up and inspired me up the whole time is the, is the potential to have impact on a large scale so that people can be freed of these more compulsory systems. And so that's what was driving me. The underlying why has been this, the fuel behind everything. And so the blogging was like Isaac and his co-founder TK at the time were uh, talking a lot on his podcast about the power of daily blogging and that it's a transformational process. And that's how Praxis started itself, actually, as Isaac started blogging. And he learned this mentality of doing one thing every single day. And then he started building Praxis and he, he said, I'm going to do one thing every single day to move Praxis forward. And that's how the company was birthed. And so they were talking a lot about the power of this 30 day challenge. And I'm like, well, am I going to be the type of person who listens to that type of advice and says, oh yeah, maybe someday I'll do it. Or am I going to be the type of person that says, I'm going to do it now, you know? And then, so I was like, let's do it. And I started a blog and I did it. And right. then I turned it into a 60 day challenge. And then I just got really exciting. It really built that momentum. And there's, I mean, I started my, my nonprofit with that same mentality of I'm going to do one thing a day to move this organization forward. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the genesis of that, that daily mindset of creativity. Yeah. Have you always taken a self-directed approach to learning? So, or is this something new that you've yeah, so learned later on? I see that as my willingness and desire and perseverance to maintain connection to my authentic self. So when I was growing up, going through public school, I would, for like middle school, high school, I kind of lost my flame in many ways where I was going through the motions, you know, I'd get like a minus B plus that kind of thing. I was like a quote unquote good student, but it wasn't based on my curiosity. It was just, it was based on doing what I was, what I was told to do. And I didn't really have a lot of life in me. I didn't read books except for the ones they assigned me. Um, I didn't have a lot of intrinsic motivation. I did have, have some with, uh, with my music and my sports, you know, but in terms of learning in general, I really wasn't that flame kind of was almost went out and I was fortunate that I just like kept this connection to myself and I've had this, um, you know, I'm, I'm grounded more in, in like as, as an introvert. And so this, this desire to like stay connected to myself and be introspective and, and not lose myself has been the, 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 the I think the, the seed of all of this self-directed learning that ended up sprouting. Um, so as I started becoming an adult and 
learning more and seeking out information, trying to question the culture, trying to start to read blogs and read and listen to podcasts, read. And so like just started asking the questions, following my curiosity and it just has snowballed ever since then. Um, but it's not something I necessarily always did growing up, but I think the key there is everyone has curiosity is, is, what we're born with as humans. And so you always have the capacity to engage that curiosity, even if it's, even if that's started to dwindle for you. Yeah. Yeah. How, what about through music? Was that self-directed or was that something that was foisted upon you? Uh, it was not either of those options. I mean, it was, something that my mom's side of the family is very musical. My grandfather was a, a church organist and he loved going to the symphony. Um, my, my aunt was uh, singing, singing professionally and she married a professional horn player. And that was just growing up what I had. I was fortunate that that was something that was available to me. And I, I always liked it, you know? Um, I remember being my first music lesson ever when I was six years old for piano lessons. And I was like, oh, this is, this is cool. And um, it was never something that I felt like was forced onto me, which is unfortunately what happens to many kids with music. Um, at the same time, it wasn't organically self-directed. It wasn't like I was in an unschooling, self-directed environment where my curiosity was consistently nourished and I was, my autonomy was respected, um, to go choose what I wanted to learn. You know, I was going through these standard public school experience and I didn't have that self-directed, um, mindset cultivated. So with music, you know, I was in music in school and I, I was taking lessons outside of school and I was, there was a self-directed there was more of a voluntary experience with it because it was, I was engaging with it outside of school when I was choosing, you know, that was the one, one of the few choices you have in school is, is which art art form you want to, to dive into. Um, so that was maybe some of the most self-directed, um, that I had, but even then, like I wasn't super motivated when I was like 11, 12, 13, 14, like I was taking lessons, but I didn't practice that much and I was pretty good at it. And, and then as I grew up, like, I don't know, I had an experience. Uh, my girlfriend broke up with me in high school and then I was devastated. And then I was, uh, at, and then I performed in this symphony concert and I like poured all my emotion into the symphony. And then I was like, Oh, I want to do this. I had this transcendent experience and just over overcome with goosebumps. And, um, that's when I was like, I need this in my life. Cause I, it really came from like an emotional place of, I need to express my, my emotions through this form, through this medium. Yeah. Yeah. You have a, a chapter in your book entitled write your own script and that what you said right there, it seems to be part of that chapter is that you it sounds like you wanted something where you're, you're taking something and providing value to the world. You're taking something and making something amazing. And it seems to me that that's something that you still do and you're still doing at, and you're trying to help other people do through crash. Tell me a little bit more about 
specifically about Crash and how you got involved with that company. Yeah, I mean, I was working as a high school band director and I was starting to build my nonprofit, which New Orleans Chamber Players, a professional organization, and to kind of as this outlet to express, to write my own script, to express my musical passions, but create through entrepreneurship, create my own organization and create this customized life essentially. And I had this vision. Um, I, I kind of made, I did, I don't know if you're familiar with Jordan Peterson's, um, future authoring program, but I, uh, I, I really dived into that and kind of drafted what I wanted my life to become the next five years. And then decided that I really wanted to work for Isaac Morehouse <laughs> essentially. And I, as I was, I was in, as a high school band, I was working as a high school band director, but I was seeking to get out of that, that environment. And when he, when Isaac started building crash, I saw that as an opportunity to, to really make a transition. And I wasn't necessarily ready to, to go pitch him. I, I was, just looking to get into the startup world. And so I started hopping on crash as a user onto the video pitch platform and started pitching companies back in 2020 for sales roles at startups. And then the world, the world sort of imploded in spring 2020 and a lot of companies started freezing their hiring. Um, I had, I had a lot of interviews, I had 80% interview rate with no experience in sales. Um, just kept coming up short in terms of getting job offers, you know, partly because I probably didn't interview as well as I could have, but partly because there were just companies not um, necessarily sure if they wanted to go go ahead and, and hire people at that time. But um, that ended up working out and uh, decided to pitch Isaac and Crash directly when they weren't even hiring and kind of wedged my way onto the team and offered to work for free for a week and, and just started creating as much value as I can. And it's been a, a learning process that self-directed learning has really kicked in where I've worn lots of different hats and I've just dived in. I've failed. I've asked a lot of questions. I'm, it's been learning the hard way, but that's like the best way to learn often where I'm, I'm not preparing. I'm just doing it. And you learn by doing. And, um, I've learned a lot about, you know, like marketing type stuff. I've had the chance to, to, to get some mentorship from, um, one of our previous team members, a couple of our previous team members in marketing. And I've learned a lot from my, my colleagues and just really grateful to have dived in to that startup, startup life and, um, continuing to learn every single day. That's awesome. I mean, the, the idea that you, you were teaching high school or you're the director of a high school band, it sounds like you didn't have any experience in sales or marketing or anything. And you just decide, Hey, I'm going to just, I, I'm interested in this. I'm going to do this. And you just figured it out. You, you, it sounds like you did a ton of pitches, not, not too many of them worked out as far as job offers, but then finally you pitched Isaac uh, tell me what were you, what were you using for your pitches as far as creating value for these companies and ultimately what sort of project or what, what do you think hooked crash and Isaac onto hiring you? 
Well, I mean, my, my case, uh, I mean, Isaac was watching me as a customer. I was right front and center. I was sort of super user <laughs> doing these pitches left and right. And so that was, okay. I mean, I was aware that that was a signaling mechanism. Like everything you do is a signal. Um, and so that was definitely a, a data points for him, I think, in seeing me pitch, you know, a dozen plus companies and go and applying what I'd learned from him over the years and, um, and this sort of mindset of forward tilt and, and creating value without permission and forging a path and having creativity and persistence. Um, I was really living, I was really living the mindset and then he actually offered, he asked me to, to come on and do some part-time like work as customer support. And then I got started getting some little, little bit more behind the scenes and connecting to team members and like learning a little bit more about what kind of projects that were going on. And, and I don't know, I gave him like a five part pitch and on like some email sequences and sales stuff and doing the podcast. And, um, I mean, that was just a way to get started. And I, what I would teach people now on the daily job plan is like, when you, when you pitch somebody, it doesn't need to be perfect. And especially when they're, if you're pitching somebody who's not hiring, um, if you create a value proposition and it's not spot on, it's still valuable because you're signaling to them that you're thinking about the problems that you could solve. Right. And that's so valuable. But I mean, I think ultimately like what has made me most valuable is my, my underlying why, which is my, my absolute head over heels desire to see the world become full of alive people. And that underlying why is the fuel that drives all the action. Like that's, I think what resonates most has always resonated, um, for, for the reason that I'm like, I've, I've been valuable to the company. That's been the number one. Yeah. Yeah. So now that you're, you're working for crash, you got the job that you were after. Um, do you feel alive? Is it, does it, is it exciting to work there? Yeah. I mean, when I was finishing as a high school band director, I mean, I love music, but I hated the system I was in. And so I was feeling dead inside in terms of working for the institution. Um, and when I quit the job and then started working for Isaac, it was a pretty, pretty big pendulum swing. <laughs> um, and so the, there's just so much alignment with my philosophy. I mean, it really goes back to education. Like I, it's, it's kind of fun little, I think kind of a fun little story. Like I was working in high school and I was my philosophy of, of education was completely antithetical to the, the system. And then I swung the <laughs> other way and started working for, there's no one more radical about education than Isaac. 
Uh, I mean, he, I guess he and I are both equally radical. Right. <laughs> um, and so it was a lot, of, it was a lot of alignment and excitement and purpose and meaning that was suddenly flooded into my experience. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's been, it's been hard. There's been failures. There's been, um, all, all like forging your own path is harder than taking the path that's presented to you. And, uh, it's been a lot of like slashing and thrashing for me. Um, but I think I've started to dial it in to some degree and getting dialing in a craft. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm really driven to right now in my life, um, to, to scale the pitch economy. And I'm, I'm excited to see what we can do. And if, if, we, if we fail, we fail, but I'm going for it. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm curious about what it's like because you guys have like 150,000 email subscribers on your list that are getting these daily job hunt emails that you're writing. I'm, I'm curious about the craft of writing those, like how far in advance are you putting those out and, you know, are you scheduling them out and they go out automatically? Are you hitting publish every day? Um, what's the, what's the feeling like when you're hitting publish or scheduling and you know that there's going to be 150,000 people reading this? Uh, you know, do you have editors who are looking over it or is it just you and, and your scheduling app? Tell me more about that. Yeah. Uh, it's just me at this point and I just have a routine and I write at least one email every single weekday. And often it's one, like one and a half or two. And I'm constantly seeking to stay ahead. So right now, the next about two weeks are scheduled out right now. And I try to be as ahead as possible so that I can, and, and I try to finish those emails as fast as possible so that I can then focus on on our growth efforts. Um, yeah, it's exciting. I mean, I love, I love starting my day with, with creating something. And I love that knowing that people, some people are impacted by what I'm saying to some small degree, you know, how many people are, are like reading the thing from start to finish thoroughly and like contemplating it, you know, maybe it's not, that's not a hundred percent of people who are reading it, but it's a really short snappy email and it's, it's, it's fulfilling to know that there are whatever that percentage is, there are a percentage of people who are opening that and it's impacting their day. It's impacting their mindset. And what I, desires for people to integrate that mindset through the compounding effect. And you know, we kind of joke, like if you read the daily job on every day for a month, you're going to be jacked out of your mind. <laughs> it's like a fit. It's like a daily vitamin. We said, like, <laughs> just read it. It's like a little, it's, it's a little boost every morning with like activating your personal agency, activating your personal empowerment. And, you know, I, 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 seek to balance it where I'll give people a little bit of a, a push some days where it's like, all right, no more excuses. Let's go. Let's create, let's focus. And then some days I'll be like, Hey, you feeling drained today? Are you struggling? 
feeling frustrated, that makes a lot of sense. It can feel, it can feel frustrating when, when a company doesn't respond to you. Let's, let's process those feelings. You know, it's a big part of my value system is, is emotional intelligence and inner healing and having a, um, be, a, a relationship with yourself that is one of, a like your own, your own best friend. How can you take care of yourself and treat yourself with nourishment? And so that's a big piece of, of the daily job plan is, Hey, let's, let's have empathy and compassion for ourselves. And then with that foundation, we can, we can become unstoppable. Now let's go, let's go follow our curiosity. Let's go create, let's go empower ourselves. Um, so I, I seek to kind of have that integrated approach of sort of, um, you know, for lack of a better phrase, like masculine, feminine, sort of both sides of energy, that, of that energy of like, we're going to have a little bit of like more punchy directness. And then sometimes some more, some more nurturing energy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Joel, well, thank you for uh, nurturing me uh, for the past few months <laughs> and uh, also motivating me with some punchy emails. I've, I've appreciated it. Um, right on. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. How about, how about what, what else are you involved you. in? Do you... <laughs> yeah. Are, are you doing their social media as well? I know, I noticed that's, uh, on crashes, social media sites, they're posting, you know, on like a regular basis. Is that through you as well? Or is that someone yeah, else I at mean, the company? It, yeah. I mean, at this point it, it's, it's sort of dialed in and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm driving the engine. Um, <laughs> so uh, just trying okay. to get those pithy things out there. So how do you keep up that heavy, how do you keep that, that level of intensity up? I mean, I'm, I'm curious about, you know, that you, you obviously have a lot of things that are coming up in your mind, you're writing them down, but are you scheduling those out with some kind of app or do you, are you just on Twitter all day and the different social media sites? Oh, Tell no, me a little I mean, bit my more social about media, that. Um, I'm very conscious about my focus and attention. And so I seek to be very, I seek to be very uh, effective and efficient with, um, social media in particular, so that I'm not getting sucked in, in, um, a consumptive type way and, and getting distracted from, from creating as much value as I can throughout my day. Um, that's my, my particular approach. Um, different people have different approaches with that. But, um, you know, so I'm typically scheduling, scheduling those a couple of days in advance or a week in advance and just try to schedule a block of the, okay, I'm just going to do 15 minutes, uh, and writing some tweets the next 15 minutes. So, and then I just kind of pump them out. Like at this point, I don't, I don't think about, and this is, you know, if anyone takes anything from this podcast episode, it's like you get better as you go. Like the first time I wrote a blog post. I really had to think about it and like sit down and make my bullet points beforehand. And, and now I just open a, open a, um, a post page and just like, zoop, it just comes out of me because I have a lot to say for one thing, but also because my ability to write has been more automated <laughs> and I've developed that skill over time. And that's the same thing with tweeting. Like all like, um, doesn't require a whole lot of planning anymore when I have a lot that's already in my head. Um, and so I encourage people if they're, if they're curious to start writing and just start and move through that initial, um, stage of the learning process, which is that 
uh, conscious incompetence is what, you know, there's those four stages of learning and that, that, that stage of becoming aware of what you don't know, or becoming aware of the skill you might not have yet. And then efforting and engaging with it and building over time so that you can snowball and eventually you can get to a place. The last stage of learning is just unconscious competence where you don't think, right? When you first started learning to tie a shoe, you really had to stop and pause and get guidance and like, think about it. Now you can tie your shoes at the same time as having conversation and you're not even thinking about it. Right. So it's just, that's the natural stages of learning and skill development. And so that could apply to anything. Um, and so don't underestimate that. Like I have a little a chapter in the book. It's this, I think it's called long game and it's just like two sentences and it's like, there's a long game, play it. Don't underestimate what you can do over 10, 20 or 50 years. So like if you're 40 years old right now, you might say, oh, I'm, I'm too old to like learn a new skill or like it's too late. Like you are 40, you, you could, what could you do for five minutes a day for the next 20 years? You could be a master of almost any skill. If you just engage your volition and say, I'm going to carve out five minutes, really be intentional about your habits and say, I'm not going to check my phone first thing in the morning or whatever. Like, I'm going to carve out five minutes and start committing to this skill. And I might not see any tangible results for like a year, but that time is going to pass anyway. Like how much fulfillment, creative fulfillment and accomplishment and pride can you experience? If you were to build a skill over 10, 20 years from scratch, like that's building self-esteem, that's building meaning, that's building purpose, that's building creativity, all these human needs that you can, you can help so you can become a more alive and flourishing person. So like, I, I get, I'm getting going, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. Is, and, and so is that your primary audience is to, I mean, who is your primary audience for your book? Do you, you want to motivate everybody or do you have certain people in mind? Um, I mean, it's sort of geared towards anyone who's interested in personal development or self-actualization, becoming the highest version of yourself, all that type of stuff, or in anyone interested in living a flourishing life, anyone interested in creativity, um, Anyone interested in living a regret-free life, right? I like to talk about that. Hey, mm. like picture yourself and you're 89 years old or you're, you're on your deathbed, you know, like we don't like to talk about that as a culture, but if you can own that, then it's empowering. And you can say, I'm going to really talk to my 89-year-old mm. self. What does he or she have to say to me? Right. And so what, you know, I'm in my book, I'm speaking to the people who have creative ambitions, but are putting them off, are experiencing resistance, are saying someday I'll do that. Um, but the reality is that someday is not a day of the week. And so start. Start and finish, right? And it might not be perfect. The, the first iteration of the iPod is not the same. I mean, I don't even have iPods anymore because it, trans it transformed into, into iPhones. And they're like, 
Like <laughs> you don't start with perfection. You just start. And then you'll iterate yeah. over time. Um, and I saw, and then I have this quote at the very end of the book from Paulo Coelho he said, one day you will wake up and there won't be any more time to do the things you've always wanted. Do it now. And so getting in touch with your sense of timeline yeah. and having the preciousness of life on this, on this beautiful spinning globe that we get to experience, are you going to get stuck in the mundanities of life and forget to do what you've always wanted to do? Do you forget to live the life you've always imagined? To, 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 to just get caught up in things that aren't as, don't matter as much, right? But to have the sense of awareness of the big picture and looking backwards and say, what do I really want to do on, on this planet? Okay. Now what's the first step? Okay. I'll take the first step. Now I keep going. Now let's, let's, let's keep going and fall through to completion. So there's a, there's, there's a two points of resistance for most people in creativity is starting and finishing. Um, once we start, like, you know, I say in the daily job hunt, Hey, just draft the first sentence of an email to the hiring manager. Like you don't even need to send the email. Just start, write one word, and then uh, you'll get momentum going, and you'll see that that action breeds motivation. And then um, keep going. And then oftentimes people get stuck in, okay, I've, I've created this, so it's seventy-five percent done, but now I need to get it polished. I need to get feedback on it. And now I need to make sure this is ready and, and make sure my marketing plan is fully prepared before launch. And I mean, I was joking earlier about my marketing plan for this book. I don't, I didn't have one. I, I published this book. I started writing it and then it was published within like seven weeks or something. I, did, I tried to make it as, as quick as possible. And I started to walk the walk and like make it a meta experience for myself. Like I'm not going to get stuck. I didn't, I just like, I designed the book cover myself. It's really basic. And then I was like, yeah, that's good enough. Like, I'm not, I don't think it's amazing. I mean, but I was my whole, it was kind of a fun little game for me. Like I'm going to create my first book and I'm not going to let these details stop me from finishing it. And so I just trusted that, you know, it's going to work out over time. And that, you know, it's fortunate people, you know, like here you are asking me about my book in this podcast. Like, oh, maybe someone will, maybe someone will want to get it. Like, but, but for me, my, I'm, I'm, I wrote the book, um, for myself primarily, to be honest. And so that I could, I could continue to flex my creative muscle and that I want people to get value from that book for sure. Um, but it's more like, I think if you, if, if you actually let yourself be more self-interested and say, I'm going to write, even if no one, I'm going to create, even if people don't like it, I'm, I'm going to create, even if no one even cares, like create because you want to become a more creative person, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. So why, tell me why a book though? What, what did you, why did you aspire to that? I mean, you could have done, you know, a podcast, a blog post, YouTube. Um, but why a book? What, what about it? I, I mean, I, I personally love books. I think they're great to hold. I think there's something about them that that's awesome. But for you, what was the allure of completing a book? Um, I suppose there's something more concrete about a book. It's more etched into reality. A blog post can be more fleeting because it's 
it's um, one of millions uh, in, in the World Wide Web of blog posts and a book becomes something that's more of it in a frame and it's something that it, it, it adds to my body of work and it, it etches and concretizes more what I have to say and it becomes more of a deliberate process. And so while I wasn't worried about, I wasn't obsessed with perfection I also was very, I was very deliberate and very detail oriented person. And so I did spend time, um, tweaking and polishing it, um, and being very intentional with each word, um, because I want, I want it to be something that has impact. And I was very thoughtful about the order of the different chapters. So it's, I mean, it's just like these short little blog post type chapters and it was the order and the flow of it was something that was conscious. Um, but yeah, I mean, I suppose that's the main reason was into the, in terms of the medium, um, of a book, it's something that's more solidified and yeah. And I was just, I mean, another one of the dedications was to Derek Sivers, who's an incredible, he's, I mean, he's a philosopher, he's been an entrepreneur, he's written many books and, had an impact on me and he wrote a book last year called how to live which is one of his he says is his most um it's like it's a masterpiece like his his the book that he's most proud of um and it really activated me because he had a section in that book about creativity and he had a little a little portion that and he said when most people see modern art they think I could do that, but they didn't. That is the difference between consumer and creator. <laughs> and I read that and I was sitting on my couch and I'm just like, whoa. All right. Cause I was like, I kind of <laughs> had it in the back of my mind. Like maybe I'll write a book cause I have all these blog posts and that's something that Isaac has rubbed off on me. Like several of his books are sort of like collections of his previous blog posts. Like yet, yeah. um, that's been like, uh, it's like a, it's an excellent way to actually compile a book is to just write a blog post every day. And then you can, then you can take that and, and turn a book, turn it into a book. Um, so I kind of had that in the back of my mind, but I wasn't, I didn't have any concrete plans for it. And then I read Derek Sivers book and that little section specifically. And I was like, let's go, let's do the thing. Um, yeah, I'm like anyone yeah. could, you know, modern art, you know, you think of like typical modern art, it's like a, a white background and then there's just like one little red dot on it. And it's like, Oh, I could do that. But then here's the thing. <laughs> it's not the, the creative process is not just that. It's not just the, the, the vision for what you want to create. The creative process is the follow through and it's the willingness to put yourself out there and say, look, I made this. And that's why people are, people who make modern art that looks so simple or whatever, a major component while the reason they might be revered is because they have the willingness to actually do the thing and say, this is a statement about me and this has meaning. And because you put it in a frame and you showing it to the world that has power to it and that's vulnerable, has vulnerability to it. And so it's not that simple and it takes an emotional psychological standpoint 
it takes that uh, willingness to move through that space, that move through that any sort of apprehension about putting yourself out there. You know, this book, I see this as a, a much, it's very much a representation of my authentic self. You know, for many, like many years in my twenties, I was kind of like finding myself and like learning about myself and then like had fears about like really showing up and being myself and kind of had a lot of these thoughts in my mind, but didn't tell people like, and now I'm putting like, this is sort of like a, um, representation of like my hero's journey in a sense. I and mean, I guess that kind of sounds like really grandiose, but I'm putting this out into the world and like showing this is, this is what I think. Um, these are my philosophies, etc. And it's like a statement about who I am. So anyway, that's, I guess that's a long winded answer, but No, I like it. I like it. I enjoy and I enjoyed the book. I enjoyed seeing your philosophy. I think we share a lot of the same ideas. Specifically, your a lot of uh, the chapters focused on the relationship between coercion versus voluntariness. And as someone who I really identify with that type of worldview, I know uh, there's a guy named uh, Arnold Kling, and and he says that there's like three types of people. Like there's the typically liberals see the world as like uh, oppression versus the oppressed. And then conservatives see the world as uh, the barbarians versus civilization. And then the libertarians see the world as voluntary versus coercion. And I think I fall into that third camp, and I think you do as well. And, I th and it seemed like you incorporated a lot of that voluntariness versus coercion into that book and, and how you see the world. Would you say that's true? Absolutely. And it integrates with I mean, I've been, I've been driving home this message about the book is about the creative process and the experience of, of, of initiating and completing at the same time, much of the book is diving into this philosophy of intrinsic motivation. And I have a section in there about school versus, edu versus education. You know, I say like schools, compulsory education is voluntary. School is about work. Education is about play. School is making you do things. Education is doing things you choose. And I have a section in there about, it's, it's titled a new definition of, dis of discipline. And I kind of riff on that. I'm like, I get really like, I have a lot of fun with philosophizing about discipline and the nature of intrinsic motivation. And how do we get into a place where we're not forcing ourselves to do things? And we're not forcing ourselves to not do things. <laughs> but rather we're, we're acting from a place of, of intrinsic motivation and within our own psyches. We're not demanding, we're not coercing our, our own part, the parts of ourselves. We're actually working in harmony with the parts of ourselves. And how do we get into that playful mode, that self-directed mode? And so oftentimes, um, a reason people don't initiate the creative process is because there's a mismatch of motivation and there's, there could be a, a block and um, a, a sort of demand oriented, coercive oriented um, experience within the one's own psyche of trying to force themselves to, to do something and then they lose the motivation. They don't sustain the motivation. 
And so a lot of, like, I just love the psychology of this stuff and how do we, how do we get into a place where we are operating from joy and self-empathy and motivation, inner motivation, so that choosing to create, choosing to do the project that might be challenging is not a sacrifice, right? It's like, I'd rather do this hard creative thing than go watch Netflix. Not that either activity is morally superior. It's rather one activity will have certain consequences, certain results. It's just cause and effect. You might, you're more likely to develop, not necessarily, but I'd say you're more likely to develop a sense of meaning and accomplishment in life and fulfillment if you pursue hard activities that you value, that are like longer form projects that have substance to them based on your interests, um, creating rather than consuming. But that's harder. It takes more effort. It takes more effort to get to that flow state, et cetera. Um, but if you can get at that from a place of, I would rather have the benefits of that than the short-term entertainment, you know, uh, letting go of the moralization of it and just like seeing everything as a game, seeing everything as, as cost benefit. And then you can cultivate that intrinsic motivation so that you can follow through on the creative process. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a geek and I like to know, uh, as I would like to know for you, as you wrote the book, what kind of tools were you using? Were you, you know, are you writing in Google docs, Microsoft word? Are you using some kind of text editor? And what was the process of, you know, the technical stuff about revising it and how did you, how did you publish it? Did you just upload a document to Amazon or, or create space or KDP? I'm kind of, I'd like sure. to geek out for a few minutes if you don't <laughs> mind and share a little bit with me about how you created the book. Yeah. Uh, my intention was to be as frictionless as possible. And like I said, not an emphasis on preparation and marketing plan and getting all my ducks in a row. And I did kind of like die. I was reading, I was going through, um, Tucker Max has a company scribe that he teaches people how to publish books and he has some free courses on like with giving his thoughts on like self-publishing versus traditional publishing. And I was kind of learning a little about that. Um, and then I was like, I seen it. I seen it start. Oh yeah. Um, so I was just, I just kind of started putting things in a Microsoft word doc and several, at least half of the posts, I think were kind of half the chapters were drawn from previous blog posts. Like I was writing a lot in 2020, really short, punchy blog posts almost every day. And I kind of took that cadence and put it into the book. And some of those, some of those chapters are, are drawn from those blog posts directly. And then I kind of tweaked them a little bit. And then some of the chapters I just wrote, I just like had certain topics that I wanted to riff on. And I just like, I just wrote them from scratch. Um, and then it was a lot of like, okay, what's I wrote, I wrote most of the words like within like two weeks. And then I was, then it was a lot of just playing with the order of things and then maybe adding, subtracting a couple things here and there. 
Um, and then I, um, I asked Isaac what he did to make was the most frictionless way to publish a book. And he said, Amazon KDP and got onto Amazon KDP and uploaded it. And then uh, there was a little bit of friction trying to figure out like the format, like the size of the book and trying to get, get the word doc to be each page to be formatted properly and spacing and stuff like that. And I was kind of doing that and I probably didn't do it in the most efficient way possible. But I was just, I wasn't trying to do it necessarily the right way or whatever. I was like, yeah, well, I was just continually in a bias for action and completion. And probably my next book, I'm going to like learn more about like what are better strategies for this and that, and what are better tools or what are um, different, different ways to go about it. But I was just trying to be in this continual, like forward tilt type finishing mindset. And I, I didn't really, I consciously didn't really ask. I didn't ask anyone for feedback on the book, which was <laughs> a couple of my friends were like, why didn't you ask us for feedback? Um, and it was sort of like, oh, maybe, maybe I was, maybe there was a little bit of a fear there of, of getting feedback, but I actually was fairly conscious about, I wanted to remove friction and I'm aware that if you ask for feedback, everyone's going to have an opinion, which is fine. But then it's like a matter of figuring out what, yeah. which, which opinions to you want to apply. And then I was like, look, I don't need this thing to be perfectly dialed in. That's the whole point. I want it to be super easy for me to finish it. Uh, it's not my number one priority. I was focused on other projects. Like this was like my third project. Like, um, so I did, I didn't really ask for, for, for editing help. Um, I got a, a couple, um, I don't know, a couple of people like took a look at the book before I actually published it, but I wasn't directly asking for feedback. Um, and then I just, yeah, just did it. And then one day it was on Amazon. Oh, it's done. <laughs> <laughs> congrats. Congrats. I Thank like you. that. Appreciate it. Yeah, I, I think your your strategy of not asking for feedback was actually really good. I know I, I've I've published a couple of books, and on my first one, I, I asked for a lot of feedback, and <laughs> I I don't I don't recommend it. I mean, I've uh, read a few articles, one by Thomas Sowell, who's a great writer, another by um, Nassim Taleb on their writing, and they they say the same thing. Editors are often the worst. They don't they don't always understand what you're trying to get at. I suppose if you had someone you were really simpatico with that, that might work out. But, uh, I'd say, I say, just put it out there. You can, you, you can get reviews after the fact on Amazon anyways. Yeah. That was my intention was just but getting congrats out there. On that. And then, yeah. A couple of friends are like, Oh, I didn't realize it was already pub Like you published it. Like <laughs> it's like, yeah. Um, but that was, that's kind of like the fun of it all. You know, I've tried to have a, a playful fun mindset about it and, you know, people I think have a conception um, that a book has to be a, a major, serious project, right? And yeah, you know, yeah, in a sense, it is, right? Because, like I said earlier, there's a concreteness to it that's it's in a frame. Uh, but that's just a belief that we have as culture, basically, of like a book is super serious. Like, why is that the case? It doesn't need to be. Um, 
So, you know, one of the, the, one of the themes of the book, I'd say, is like, there's no rules to, to life. Everything's a game. So, like, do whatever you want. You know, you want to publish a book without anyone proofreading it? You yeah. do whatever you want. You know, everything's just going to be with its cost benefits. And like, <laughs> you know, I realized after like my friend pointed out, like, maybe it would have helped our relationship as friends if you had asked me for feedback and I never, it never crossed my mind. I was like, wow, that's a, that's a piece of, that's a piece of information. And I think that might've been the case to have like created more intimacy in my friendships or like let people see more what I was doing. Um, but it wasn't, that was just, that's just a cost benefit. Everything's, everything's just cause and effect. Okay. If I, I would have maybe had more visibility from my friend, but then they would have given me, their um, feedback. And then I would have been faced with choosing whether or not I was going to in- integrate their feedback. And I chose, I didn't want to deal with that. So anyway, do what you want to do y'all do what you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Well, Joe, we're coming towards the end of the conversation here. Is there anything that we've haven't covered that you wanted to get out there? Um, I think we covered quite a bit and I appreciate you having me on. Um, yeah, I think the book is, you know, it's going to take you, you can probably read it in one sitting and, uh, super short and yeah, I would just sort of drive home the theme that, um, be in touch with your bliss and be in touch with what makes you come alive, be in touch with your curiosities, your daydreams, allow yourself to daydream and then like really dream big and allow yourself to permission to really feel what it is you want, what it is you want to create. And then ask yourself what's the next step, right? Desire and do. It's that sort of yin yang. Desire, nothing happens unless first you desire it, and nothing happens unless you do it. Right? So, you, to, to both sides of that coin. And then, of course, doing it and completing it and saying, hey, it's done. Look at, look at it, world. Right? Um, so, I appreciate, appreciate you having me on. I appreciate all the listeners. Um, choosing to, to invest an hour of their time listening to me speak. And, um, <laughs> you can, um, yeah, find the book, do it now. It's called do it now subtitle, a finished book. And there's a couple other books that are called do it now. So, which I didn't know, of course, I didn't know that until afterwards. <laughs> so make sure you get the, the subtitle in there. It's a finished <laughs> book. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll uh, put it in the show notes. So anyone listening on YouTube will be able to click the description and find the book. Or if you're listening on a podcatcher, you'll be able to get that link by opening in the notes. Joel, it's great talking with you. Thanks for coming on the My show. My pleasure, Aaron. I really appreciate you having me on.